This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobbe, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration and the author of The Remarkable Effect. I'm creating a tribe of tech entrepreneurs that are on a mission to do something big and meaningful. I invite you to join the tribe as well, especially if you want to create change that matters and put your software business on momentum that you're proud of. The goal that I have with this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. The guest on my podcast today is Frank Schneider, CEO at Speakeasy AI. In any organizational structure, it's servant leadership that allows for success to be possible. When you can put the needs of others in front of yourself, the aha moment that we found is that, you know, customers, of course, when they come and try to interact with a brand, they want information or help easily. They want it to be sort of done in a way that doesn't take much effort for them. And they want it done quickly and whenever they want it, right? And those are the issues that have gone on in servicing customers for long before AI was in place. We want to start with listening to your customers. And the piece of technology that we have a patent pending for is called speech to intent. In order to understand a customer and also leverage your other investments, we need intelligence on the line at the moment you say hello. As soon as you start speaking to us, we're not listening to just transcribe and send somewhere. We're listening to start to derive what that intent is from the beginning and then send the intent to a place to fulfill the need. This is Frank. He consulted and led teams providing various SaaS and AI solutions for contact centers and B2B. He's a former officer and VP of Sales, Marketing and Customer Success at Creative Virtual USA. During his tenure, Creative Virtual USA grew revenue with over 300% and became the leader in Fortune 500 Enterprise Virtual Assistant deployments. Today, he's the CEO of Speakeasy AI. And he and his team are on a mission to make it easier for businesses to understand and respond to their customers' needs in voice with the help of AI. This puts them on the pioneer's path to provide the -the in-the-moment insight into understanding customers' intents, needs, and outcomes. And this resonated with me, and hence I invited Frank to my podcast. We explore what is broken in today's chatbot-driven economy and how this leads to more automation, but not necessarily to better customer value and relationships. We also address the dilemmas customers have with rip and replace strategies versus one where they can evolve their investments. And last but not least, we discuss some critical ingredients to building a remarkable software business. By listening to this podcast, you will learn four things. Firstly, why the essence to turn customers into fans is not so much in listening what they say they need, but understanding intent, i.e. what they really want. Secondly, how embracing and leveraging what's there can accelerate your growth and stickiness. 
i.e. enable your customers to leap without having to reinvent everything. Thirdly, how defensible differentiation can be created by not betting on the technology difference, but on the methodology difference. And fourthly, that the trick to getting customers to actually see your solution and increase the love curve is in earning their trust and creating wins. Frank, welcome on my podcast. Thank you for making the time today. How are you, Tom? Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I mean, you're uh, making time from your holiday address, so I really got you high on my list right now in terms of appreciation. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, looking forward to this call, your, your business Speak Easy AI, we're going to dive into that in a minute, which is all about voice. And I like that topic. But before we start, I always like to give the audience a little bit of an impression about who you are. So if you would have to describe yourself in two or three words, what characterizes you? Interesting. It might be easy, but I would say father, coach, and servant. Okay. So that's an interesting one. I haven't heard those before. I mean, father, yeah, I understand that one. And coach <laughs> and servant, explain that a little bit. You know, I'll do servant first, I guess, because it kind of feeds into coach. I'm a fervent believer in servant leadership and the idea that to lead is to serve and that, you know, service to others is the way you learn about the world, the way you sort of contribute and give back to society. And in any organizational structure, it's servant leadership that allows for success to be possible when you can put the needs of others in front of yourself and endeavor to sort of create additional leaders and sort of allow people to take ownership over their destiny and the culture and the company or the organization or the team. It plays in a lot of places. But the idea that the first question you should ask yourself when you're trying to be a leader is what can I give to this person? How can I better serve them is key. And it's, it's a big part of how I try to live my life. You know, I, it's always a work in progress across both professional, personal, as well as sort of hobbies that I do as well. And so coach feeds into that. So I've run teams at companies professionally where I've had to function as a coach more than a manager, which I've always enjoyed yeah. and liked. My first career stop, I was a teacher for nine years and a coach. And I still actually yeah. coach basketball part-time. And as part of my basketball coach, sort of scratching that itch of still having that, I learn a lot about how I can handle decision-making, how I can empower people to do things, how we can have service leadership as part of culture. So I'm very fortunate in that my sort of things I do outside of the office or outside of work, which is sort of this basketball coaching right now, feeds quite well into how I'm trying to build a company and build a team and engender that sort of spirit. I like that. I think possibly they all fit with me as well. I've never thought about it that way, but I'm also far more about giving rather than taking. Yeah, I follow your principles then. Thumbs up for that. So yeah, I mean, you already kind of highlighted your company and kind of driving a company. Your company, Speak Easy AI, what is the big idea behind it? What problem did you see in the marketplace? Yeah, our team has been in the AI space for a little over a decade. Not a lot of people have been in this sort of chatbot space for that long. And again, we were very fortunate that we were able to consult with some really large Fortune 500 brands. And sort of the aha moment that we found is that, you know, customers, of course, when they come and try to interact with a brand, they want information or help easily. They want it to be sort of done in a way that doesn't take much effort for them. 
and they want it done quickly and whenever they want it, right? And those are the issues that have gone on in servicing customers for long before AI was in place. And at the same time, you know, brands, this idea that they don't want to serve customers or they want these systems in place to be barriers to the customers, it's not actually how they feel. It, it, it's, it looks that way with some of the technology. You know, they're meant to be deflection or containment or all of these words that imply don't come talk to me, right? It's not what they're trying to do. What they're really struggling with is scale. And what they're also struggling with is over time in these massive organizations, there are all these silos built up of disparate pieces of technology, information, strategies, service channels, and employees. And how do we make it all work together? And so for AI, it's automated recognition of patterns, primarily based in text. And we're going to allow for self-service at scale, and then your customers will be okay. And what we found in chatbot companies is digital chatbots, sort of typing to chatbots, they have some successes. I'm not going to sort of poo-poo them or put them down. But ultimately, they haven't killed the call center, if you will. They haven't prevented from people still needing to call you. They haven't made life that much easier for customers compared to where it should be. And on top of it, they don't reflect a true understanding of the customer's needs. But yet, they've had a lot of investment. So we found in brands, there was a crux of, we speak differently than we type. And most AI systems are designed on text or transcription alone, and then expected to handle voice conversations. And for us, we were trying to get to thread the needle or orchestrate digital chatbot investments with laggard pieces of technology, IVRs, those automated prompts you call into. So every time you call a toll-free number, your call is important to us, say one or press one for service, all that kind of nonsense, or our whole time is 20 minutes. That's a laggard piece of technology that no one's happy with. And then you have these digital AI chatbot products or solutions that have additional investment, have some forward thinking pieces of technology, and how do you stitch them together? And brands were saying, can you get chatbots to listen to our call center agents and help them during the conversation even? Because we don't want to replace our, we don't want to replace our agents. We want to augment them. We want this to work better. And saying things like, can you get these chatbots, which actually are better than our IVR to work in the IVR? And so we were trying to thread the needle across these different pieces of technology. And a lot of people in this space say, sweep it all out, right? That, that's the way technology sales goes. Well, then what you need to do is get rid of everything and have this all-in-one kit of AI. And all-in-one kits of AI don't lean into the orchestration methodology, which is what we're about. Yep. What you really need to be able to do to service your customers is orchestrate what you have and then build on top of that. And you need something that, from a technology perspective, doesn't rely on transcription alone if you're trying to listen and understand your customers. So we want you to stop wasting your time, you know, trying to always have decisions informed by technology barriers and unactionable data. And we want to start with listening to your customers. And the piece of technology that we have a patent pending for is called speech to intent. Yeah. And it's a, way of, it's a way of taking audio and phonetic pattern matching, so actual real audio, the way you speak. I have a horrible Philadelphia accent, so you can probably hear my East Coast words, especially if I say a word like water, which is agua. And so being able to understand my specific needs and then within the context of all of these other investments, because the customer doesn't care. The customer doesn't care what you've invested in and all the different things uh-huh. you have in place. They just want their need addressed but you have all of this information and context that you can potentially leverage to get to that understanding. 
So we don't rely on transcription alone. Most AI systems, think about when you press the microphone button on your cell phone, right? You want to send a friend a text, but you don't feel like typing it. So you hit the little microphone button, you dictate the message, and then you send it along, the transcription. It, it's probably in the neighborhood of 90 to 96% accurate almost every time. Transcription alone is almost human parity right now. It's plumbing. True. But for us, there's no intelligence there. Let me make a small interruption here. Friend just made a critical remark about how they create defensible differentiation. Instead of creating a technology difference, they focus on creating a methodology difference. And this takes away the risk for the customer. It paves an easier way in and enables them to solve a valuable and urgent problem in a way that exceeds their customer expectations. And that allows them to continuously do so along the customer lifecycle. It's a textbook example of the value triangle that I describe in my book, The Remarkable Effect. And this is just one of the 10 traits that define a remarkable software business. If you are keen to close the gaps on those traits for your software business, I recommend you to read my book or listen to it. You can find it on amazon.com. And if you want to find out where you stand with your company on the five-star remarkable index, simply do the test. You can find it on valueinspiration.com slash remarkable index. Back to the interview. So for us, in order to understand a customer and also leverage your other investments, we need intelligence on the line at the moment you say hello, especially to provide it in real time. Again, the, the sort what of- What do you mean there? Yeah. The moment you say hello, like, is that already the way you say it? Does that give intent? Well, I mean, hello, right? There's only so much in intent, but I think that's a good point. What I mean is as soon as you start speaking to us, we're not listening to just transcribe and send somewhere. We're listening to start to derive what that intent is from the beginning and then send the intent to a place to fulfill the need. That intent could be with a human. And if we send it to a human to finish the call, we're going to walk over with the human, sit down next to them in the cubicle, metaphorically, and listen to the human and provide suggestions. Hey, I think you should try this while we're having that conversation. If that fulfillment for that intent need is an automation process, we're going to try to make that automation process easier. If that fulfillment is actually we need to take this somewhere else entirely or schedule a call back or move the conversation to SMS, we're not trying to sort you as a customer and be a barrier for you to get what you need. We're trying to get there more easily. And for us, we want real-time insights into what it is you want. And speech to intent, that's what it really allows. It's not so much of an accuracy difference. It's more about how can I get that data on you right away as quickly as possible, give vision to it to the people who are trying to make decisions on how to best serve you, and then do things that are actionable and get you to the right place at the right time. Yeah. So can you give an example of the intent that, that you can recognize, for example, from, from someone calling? I can imagine, for example, sure. someone being angry or someone mm -hmm. is in a hurry or... Hi, well, well for example, so, so you say, hello, welcome to Tons Airlines. How can I help you? Well, I'm traveling next Thursday and it's vacation for me, but ultimately I have to bring the whole family and I'm bringing my mom as well. And I'm wondering if I have to pay extra to sit next to her. Okay, that was a long spoken utterance yep. with, if, I, if I'm transcribing that and pushing that, a transcription-based system, I try to sort all the different things that I said and try to figure it out. Ultimately, the crux of the issue that you need help with is, do you have to pay extra to sit next to someone on the plane, right? Yeah. From the beginning, we're able to look at audio and phonetic patterns 
as well as the context that we know. The context we know is maybe all of that airline's data. Could be from call center articles, could be from agent conversations, could be from web content. And we're able to say, we see what this person really wants is just, do I have to pay extra to sit next to someone? But they didn't say it in that way that would perfectly fit a chatbot. But we're good at rinsing it, if you will, digesting it, getting the real intent. And now where do we go to fulfill it? Well, this one's an easy piece of information. We actually have it sitting over here in a self-service chatbot. It wasn't said the right way for that chatbot to work, but we've rinsed it and digested it. Push it to that chatbot, bring that answer back. Actually, yeah, it's five bucks to sit next to someone or whatever the case may be. Or there's no charge. Can I help you with anything else? Well, I actually need to cancel my reservation. Oh, well, that's a human. Let me... Let me get you over to a human and here comes the human. And now we'll sit with the human. And because we know the phone number, maybe we've already pulled the information about this person's reservation. And once we find out the cancellation, maybe we can even suggest some promotions or things like that. But ultimately we don't want it to break on that utterance. You know, I use the term break. Yeah, but that's what you get. Yeah. Yesterday I was ordering coffee from Nespresso and in the past I had a chatbot and I could actually speak with people, with real people. Yesterday I tried and they had this, I don't know what they had. Maybe it was messenger or something like that. And I mean, I tried three times just to ask for an invoice. Mm-hmm. No way. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Extremely inconvenient. Yeah. That's a company called Nespresso, right? It's, yeah, uh, exactly. No, these, these are giant companies doing this. We have a company that we're working with. It's a hotel brand and they've invested in something called RPA, robotic process automation. So they've bought an RPA solution and the yeah. RPA the RPA widget is sort of like a workflow to get a billing, to get a, to get a folio for a stay. And they have this RPA flow. And when you, when you get to a call center agent, the call center agent takes your inputs and walks you down this RPA flow to get you to a folio. Well, that's not a good use of a human ultimately. It might be quicker if the customer just called in, gave the piece of information to an automated thing or typed it to an automated thing on the, on the website and just got the folio sent out. It's simple. So yeah. we do things like that, break down those barriers at times and optimizing the humans. We're not trying to eliminate humans. We're trying to make it so that you can service your customers in an easy way at scale Yeah, and you can understand them better and you can have data and insights into what they're actually talking about. Yeah, and that's what triggered me on your website. Let's build voice experiences customers will use and love. That's yeah. what it's all about. So, so if that's happening, if the customer, that you, your, your customers getting voice experiences that their customers will use and love, what is the opportunity if we get this right? What is the... Yeah, where the, the op- what things go yeah. up and what things go down. You know, the key is your customers will actually use, right? I almost want to put the word actually in there. The trust factor with customers for some automation tools is so low that the most common response you have for voice automation tools is agent or human, right? Get me to a person, right? They don't. Even, a lot of customers don't want to deal with that. And maybe there's 10 to 15% of customers who never will. They'll, all, they'll never want to play your reindeer games. And that's fine. Let's get them to, to the, yeah, let's, let's service them where they're at. We're not trying to force them down a path. But there's a good percentage of customers, especially because right now there's an interesting moment in time that everyone's able to talk to that box of their kitchen now, that cylinder. Everyone has an Alexa in their house or a Google Home or, or a Siri on their phone. People are talking to inanimate objects again. And the expectation is that, well, maybe I can actually get what I need. So for those people, you want to deliver a win for them, which a win is not to sort them. It's to give them easy access to information, what they need and let them go about their day. And then ultimately that usability and adoption curve and that love curve changes. So tangibly for us, what the opportunity is, we're going to see an increase of 
CSAT, customer experience, customer effort score, which is big for us, or how many clicks or how many calls or how much time was actually spent to get what you need. But we're going to see automation rates, which is what people want. They want automation, our brands, you know, increasing from 20 to 40%. And so from a traditional ROI perspective, that's how the brand is measuring it. Brand, our, our client partners are measuring it on that. They're also looking at some nuanced things, like, for example, call transfer rates. So how many times do you have to repeat yourself? Yeah, and, then the, and, then, and then the customer service agent winds up just sending you to another agent. doesn't make anyone happy. The brand's not happy. They're paying more for that call. The customer's super unhappy. So by having proper AI augmentation, you're able to reduce those rates. That's additional ROI for the brand. Again, a customer experience win for the customer. But ultimately, all of your content, all of your brand-facing tools or information that are out there on the web, as well as in voice automation systems, are going to better reflect that you understand the customer. That's what we're shooting for, that you understand the customer. And then there's, a, there's an obvious quick win on ROI for automation, but also there's some other sort of softer wins that come over time related to if you're truly a listening enterprise, if you're truly a brand that's endeavoring to understand your customers, and that's what you're using AI for, you're going to get those wins. And then also for us, and this is more of a brand concern than a and customer concerns. The customers don't care about this, but what the brands care about is, can I do this without having to reinvent everything or processes I already have? For example, have you ever used an IVR or an automated call-in prompt to like check on an outage, a power outage maybe in your area, or check a banking balance? You just call in and the credit card gives you the banking balance. These are really easy things that are already done and don't need AI to be reinvented. So a brand doesn't want to sweep all that out. If I have stuff that actually is servicing my customers pretty well, can you just use that as the, and I'll use the word again, fulfillment. Can you use that to fulfill the need when appropriate rather than have me reinvent that wheel, reinvest additional money? So that idea of that we don't come in with a broad brush, brush stroke and say, let's sweep everything out. From a deployment perspective, we come in and say, can we listen to your customers for two weeks? Yeah. That's all we want to do. We want to have our AI on the line and listen to your customers for two weeks when they call you. And then we're going to be prescriptive about what it is we do and what it is we recommend and what it is we can use to sort of help your customers. Cool. Okay. That's interesting as well. Yeah. Onboarding at its best, so to say. So, I mean, yeah, from the aha moment when you started your company till now, I mean, a lot of things have happened. And I mean, specifically in the voice space, I mean, that that curve Mm -hmm. of, of technology I would, I would say, I mean, I've, I've been, I mean, in my book, I've been writing about the half-life of your product. Possibly that's like three months <laughs> because it yeah. goes so fast. <laughs> true, true. So, so what, have you done, you know, what have you done specifically in your product to make it do the remarkable things it does? Right. So what we've done is we've always built it from that orchestration slash integration DNA. Okay. For example, we believe our bet is that we will always be the best at bringing all of the elements to the table that might be needed to understand a customer and not be the single authority on AI. There are so many, to your point, there's so many new chatbots, new voice products, new smart speakers, new authentication or voice biometric elements. There are new products coming to the market with specific niches every day. Ultimately, No one is winning the overall, let's just have the best AI platform from soup to nuts. And we don't believe that's, we believe that's folly because it it might even stifle innovation. So if we're working with large brands that say, you know what, we found a voice biometric partner 
that is the best voice bio thing we've ever seen. We want to integrate that into your platform. That's what yeah. we want to be able to do. So if we are the experts in intent overall and what customers want, and we're also the best at integrating different things into the platform, that orchestration is what we're about. We want to be an AI. We want to be on the front end, the best at understanding your customers. And then for you and your enterprise, the best at orchestrating all these other investments that you might have. So a customer might say to us, here's the IVR I want that I think is the best IVR, which to us, again, it's just plumbing, just how to deliver a voice call. Here is the best digital chatbot, which we could provide, but maybe they have a digital chatbot they like better. Here is a live chat. Here's an SMS. Here's my labor and my labor's in four different places across the world. Here's who manages yeah. them. And then I need something as sort of the central nervous system to all of that. How do I make sure that all of these silos don't evolve where all of a sudden I've created these big branches of service channels that have nothing to do with what the other one is doing. So we're going to orchestrate that in the middle. And then what, AI, what our AI allows us to do is to say, so let's not forget, this is a customer centric approach. What are the intents? What is driving all of this? All of this that you're doing, what's your customer behavior? What do they actually need and want? And how are you servicing it? And that orchestration and that actionable data is what's going to inform everything. Now, for us commercially, we sell, we usually start in voice AI or we start on agent assist. So sometimes we'll start with, let's sell it to the call center agents. We're going to monitor their calls or their chats and provide suggestions. And that's the commercial foray into us getting into the brands and they can see yep. value right away because they, they need to have value and ROI right away. But ultimately what we're trying to enable is a three to five year roadmap. And for us to safeguard, hey, someone's come out with the best transcription we've ever seen. We're going to use that and not use yours. Okay, we'll integrate it into our kit. Yeah, Sounds great. For example, one thing that a lot of people in voice AI who don't know what we know, and I'm not trying to say this from a sort of place of hubris, but some people in this space who are new to it are very focused on, can it sound just like a human? Can it sound, you can't even tell the difference between a human response and an agent response. And for us, it's nice to have it sound human, but we're not in the business of trying to disguise ourselves to, to customers. We're just trying to understand, we're more focused on the understanding. And so for us, one of the only things we don't have native in our voice platform is a speech synthesizer. And a speech synthesizer is a way of taking text, turning it into can, voice, right? I can connect you to someone that, that, that delivers that, who's right. been on my podcast. And the only reason why we're not developing that is because 99% of the time, it's personal taste. I like yes. this digitized voice. I like the way Siri sounds. I like the. And so what we want to say to our brands is, who do you want? And ultimately, do you want recorded voice talent? A lot of brands say, well, we have Allison and Allison is our voice and we give her high value items. We have her record them. Can you store those and then return them when necessary? Yes. So again, that's part of our sort of DNA is to enable that world because yeah. the reality is if we're just saying, if we're just putting marketing out there that says, look how much we sound like a human. Okay, that's great. You sound like a human. Do you even understand what the humans want though? Because for us, that's, that's what the important thing is. is what do humans yeah. want and how are you going to service them? I don't think when you call into Delta Airlines, you ever hang up and think to yourself, that sounded just like a human. That made it so much better. No, you think whatever the issue is, you have a weather delay or you want to change your reservation or that's what's on your mind. Not, oh, that IVR sounded so human-like that I feel better. You know, it's, you still yeah, have an it's, issue. They'll start solving the problem. You're completely right on that. 
Yep. So I mean, yep. the way you you found that orchestration was your thing and that the overarching thing was intent, did mm-hmm. that came out of like from the start or was that after a couple of pivots? Well, AI companies will always say that intent is important. So I don't want to act like we <laughs> we figured out something no one else did. I think we figured out that voice intent could be achieved in a better way. But intent is a key to AI. The orchestration piece, and some people are talking that, commercially, it doesn't make sense for like Google to be an orchestrator. It makes sense for Google to just do it. We, we're, we're Google. We're going to do everything. So it also commercially makes more sense for us. But ultimately, we learned it from practical experience. For example, we had a really large wireless wireless customer, wireless telephone customer in the US, one of the biggest ones in the world. And we sold them a chatbot. We sold them a digital chatbot that was on their contact us page. I mean, you couldn't ask to be a better place. You come to contact us before we get you anywhere. You're going to engage with our chatbot. We were doing something like 25 million automated AI chats a year. And we're thinking, wow, we've done it all. Then we have a meeting with them and they say, so we have six other chatbots. You have six other chatbots. We're we're on contact us. Well, we have one that's in our mobile app provided by this vendor. We have one that's in Facebook provided by this vendor. We have one that does sales automation. You're just doing support. We have one that sits with our call center agents. And we also have an IVR and we're trying to put a bot in there. Yeah. So for us, we said, this is not going to change. People want different things for different activities. It's all, yeah. So you're not going to find one. Yeah. Yeah. So we need to enable all of this and allow them to make sense of it rather than say, but no, we want to be all seven chatbots. Because they're going to get, get out. No, we, we, we want best of breed different. Th- and it doesn't relate just to chatbots. But that was sort of the aha moment. We want to be able to orchestrate all this together and be at the middle and say, how do all these things interplay? And if we know the intent, maybe this bot is the expert in sales and wireless device sales, but maybe this bot or article or human, again, it, not to make it all about AI, this human is the expert in trouble ticket, you know, sure. tr- troubleshooting. So that was the aha well, moment for us. That's where the augmentation, of course, comes in because a lot of times, I mean, you can can score really high high numbers with AI, and people, of mm-hmm. course, can also have really high numbers with being very accurate. At the end, you know, it's not scalable. Yeah, uh, because true. Grow your, to grow your business, grow your volume, it's not a good idea to just throw more people at it. But what no. you typically see is when you combine them together, the result is not either or. It's like something that is plus. That yeah, is, that's that totally is really true. Yeah. Totally true. It's, you know, we often call our product conversational middleware. You know, middleware yeah. has existed across software companies forever. So this is, this is a conversational approach to middleware. How do these yeah. things talk? Talking to the, I never want to remove the fact that the customer is the most important thing. But also internally, these things and people need to talk to each other. And AI can yeah. help sort of thread that together, which is really important for then what you put out in front of the customer. True. Yeah. Very yeah, compelling. So, Kind of finding your north star and where you and where you uh, say, okay, this is this is what we do and this is not what we do. I, I like that positioning and segmentation at work. So, how do you make decisions, product strategy wise, to what to do, what not to do? Why do you say yes, but this is what we need to do then? It's a challenge, especially it's more challenging at this company than my prior company that we exited because we already had we are you know we came in it was about scaling the company and we already had the product and the north star was more formed. We feel like sometimes our North Star shifts and there's all kinds of different <laughs> things in play and what's hot and what's not. It's funny. I remember, I'll tell a quick anecdote from my prior company, which was Creative Virtual that we exited. It was a digital chatbot company and we always called our product IVAs or VAs, virtual assistants or intelligent virtual assistants. 
And then one, because chatbots were like a bad word. Chatbots, you might think of spam and bots on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Then one day Mark Zuckerberg woke up and said, chatbots are the word. And then suddenly we were all chatbots again because Facebook said chatbots were a good thing. But for this company, what we've done and we've always adhered to, again, the aha moment comes from customers, right? That's why we launched it. That's why we built this product. And our first, one of our co-founding members was a gentleman who was a chief cust- who was our chief customer officer, who was an executive that we had sold products to in the past. So we kind of tried to, I always joke, we tried to get the buyer cheat code. We've always had buyers or practitioners or people in the space, either on our team or on our board. And we're about to, so we had a gentleman who, he had worked at Time Warner Cable and Earthlink and all these global brands doing the things we were trying to do. And he was the literal buyer in the room trying to tell us this is going to work. This is not. And he's always checked us. He's always been sort of our truth meter. And now we're about to announce that we're going to add a woman to our advisory board who was formerly of Bank of America. And so she also will be here to say, we want someone who not just can think of strategy, but can think of practitioner so that if we get off track with what those people need in the space, it kind of brings us back to reality. So that's one thing that has helped us make decisions is always trying to make sure that our customers or our buyers are at the center of what we're doing and what product roadmap is. Yeah, very important. So unless we don't, it's we, one customer, you know? It, it yeah, unless it's, for yeah, yeah. Because I've sure. seen that work very counterproductive, counterproductive, yeah. Yeah, what we do have, we're very fortunate. My co-founder, Moshe, who's our CTO, is beyond brilliant. He's the best sort of developer I've ever seen in my life. And because he's been doing this at multiple AI companies, he also has a vision and knows where we need to innovate, right? And he digests material and reads papers from Stanford AI professors all day long. And just, he has the wonderful mix of science with art, with business practicality that, that's necessary for a, for a strong developer. And so these people that are customers serve as sort of like his sounding board as well. And also his sort of check mark, like, all right, is this, oh, this going to true yeah. or not? Yeah, so, so we're very lucky. Yeah, yeah because normally that is not a good mix. It starts with, I mean, let me do it. Let me do my stuff. And they don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. So getting this into the market, growing. So what became your catalyst moment? Was there any point where, where the market either got it en masse or was there anything you added to the product where it just started to take off? I think, you know, we're probably pre our high velocity moment still. We're at our, it's now proven. And it's going to start to scale now. So we're about to hit that. And of course, with the COVID situation and the interesting market forces surrounding that, there's been both positives and negatives along with that. But for us, the fact that more players are entering into the space and betting sort of not on a technology difference, but in a methodology difference, we want to replace everything. And the more people talk to replace everything with one AI vendor game, the more our value prop gets teased out. So We haven't had our catalyst moment yet because I think we now finally have stories that we can go to market with, customer stories that say, look at how it's worked for brand X, look at how it's worked for brand Y and start to build from there. But to be honest, Google, I'm going to mention Google again. Google has this contact center center AI thing that they've been betting on and Amazon's entered the marketplace trying to do a contact center. Everyone's trying to get into the contact center world. And whereas they're trying to retrofit pre-baked solutions into the contact center world. We've sort of been born from that world with a very specific product. So it's almost like their marketing is helping us in a way, which because 
to do what you need to do, you need someone a little bit more nimble that has what we have. So it's been funny to see how that has played out and has been helping us. But I think our catalyst moment, when I think about partners that we're adding to the table, when I think about the growth of our advisory board, and I think about of our client wins, I think it's going to happen towards the back end of 2020 and early 2021. We expect yeah. to start to see that, that hockey stick growth. We expect to start to see it. Hopefully. Keep our fingers crossed for you. Yes. Oh, so, my gosh, yes. Yes. <laughs> well, talking about like, the journey that you've got so far, right? what has been one of the – what is a big obstacle here you, you had to overcome, and how did it go about? Something that really played, played to your, well, in your favor solving it. Hmm. It's funny. I think our biggest obstacle, it's going to be too easy, but has been, you know, everyone shutting down commercially in mid-March, you know, that it's too, it's too easy to point to that. And one of the things that a lot of people shut down over was just simply, we can't do anything new and you're new. So anything new, we love your product. We love the value you can bring, but if you're new, it's not going to work. And we had one thing break in our favor, which was people needed to redistribute in, you know, contacts in our workforces and lean into some automation elements to enable that, that maybe had been on their roadmap for a decade that suddenly couldn't wait anymore. And it didn't matter. So that helped us a lot. And what we did to sort of bridge those two gaps is sort of just be commercially friendly and be true partners and not try to force people down a path that maybe financially would be more advantageous for us and focus on delivering for the clients. And we built a lot of trust. And then we came out of when the lockdowns and some of the restrictions started being lifted, suddenly we had a lot of revenue coming in because we had helped people through these really difficult times. Yeah, yeah. that's the, good. The second, the second, and then, so that was more luck, right? That, that those things forced people to our technology and we were ready to jump. And then strategy wise, we didn't force people, well, if you don't have X amount of dollars, we're not going to do business with you. We saw that as an opportunity. We're going to learn more. We're going to be your partner. And then we'll come out of it on the other side. So we made that strategic bet. The second thing that we bet on is we, we heard this sort of no new thing, no new thing. We went out and specifically tried to find strategic partners that had complementary products to us. So virtual yeah. callback, virtual callback companies. There are companies that also do expert sourced content. So imagine, you know, I notice you have an Armani shirt on. So let's say you're a brand advocate for Armani. Okay. Let's say you're really, and you know, they're, they're lying very well. When someone calls Armani support, maybe they would like you to help augment their content because you know, things from a sort of fan perspective or a wearer's perspective that maybe the customer service agent wouldn't, or maybe that would work with a video game or work with yeah. a sale, a sailboat, you know, it's very specific market. So all of these, these expert content companies, they're good partners for us because the AI can work with that. So yeah. we've tried to find complementary partners who are in the same boat as us to say, okay, you're already embedded in these customers. Our AI could help augment your delivery. Let's figure out how to work together. And that way, that's a strategy that we're now starting to see pay off. And we have a couple of partnerships coming to bear where we have all these new opportunities in the funnel because we found complementary partners. Whereas before we had been trying to find the more traditional partners. Let's partner with other AI companies. But how funny is that, right? Yeah. Yep. But suddenly True. because of this, you start to look at, look at the problem in a different way and you, you find those combinations that you haven't been thinking of before. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Before, yeah, and I we mean, were looking at, yeah, at IVR companies. And, and it's almost, it almost made us learn like IVR companies for 20 years, they haven't been doing IVR well, but they were going to partner with us. You know, it, it was a really hard proposition a lot of times. And then finally we realized 
this is just trying to do it like everyone else. For these other partners which we've thought of since the COVID situation, it's not doing it like everyone else. Oftentimes we're the only people at the table with this type of partnership. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I recently did Alt MBA from Seth Godin and one of the books that I really, really have high on, on my list coming out of that was Beautiful Constraint. And one of the techniques mm. that is discussed there is, is how to deal with and create abundance. And they can do that in, in four different ways. And it's like, okay, what do you have that others want or what do they have that you want? And you already speak the same language and you can find magical combinations with that. So that's, that's a really, really interesting cool. one. Yeah. It, it's funny. Um, I... I I've definitely wanted to do the Seth Godin alternative MBA. So you're glad you did it. You loved it. It was good. I loved it. This is a big yeah. plug for Seth on the podcast, but yes. Yes, it, was, it was tough. Four weeks, 13 projects, but boy, boy I, I, I've been learning so much. Yeah. I want to do that so badly. So I'm jealous. That's cool. I'm glad you were able to. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, one of the, it gets going on. So what are you most proud of creating with your customers so far? What is the anecdote that you keep talking about? Hmm. We, and it's definitely not a me, it's definitely a we, because I feel like the best creative juices in our company come from people that aren't me. And my role is to get out of their way <laughs> when they're doing yep. amazing things. But from a customer perspective, this is going to sound a little trite, but we always say we're trying to get our customers promoted. And we really mean it. We really mean we want the executive and especially the person under the executive who is the doer, who actually touches our technology and has to implement it for customers. We want them to be so proud of what they've done and the outcome for them to be that they get promoted. That's really our internal goal. It was my goal at my prior company too. When you're in these big companies and they buy a multi-million dollar solution, it's really the outcome of it sits on a shelf and no one thinks about it, which which is not a good outcome for anyone nope. or it blows up and they lose their job. And that would be a nightmare. Those stakes are incredibly high, but ultimately the goal that you're shooting for is I want that person to get promoted. So our most recent customer, our main advocate, she has not gotten promoted, but no, actually she has gotten promoted. No, wait, she has gotten promoted. And now I don't think we can take credit for that by any means, but if we were, there were a hundred reasons and we were ranked number 100 and we were one piece of that puzzle. We'd like to hope that we were, we can never get that validation, but we really, if the person that's working with us has an elevated in stature, we haven't made that person look good. We failed. So, sure. so, so but that's, that's the whole, the whole thing at the end, it's a people game, you know, nope. and it's about trust and it, it needs to come from two, from two ends. And if that, if what you deliver helps to create a difference for the customer, someone within that organization is going to be awarded for that. Yep. That's a really good thing. So it keeps you honest about what you're delivering for your customer. I like sure. that quote. I like that, uh, that anecdote. So, I mean, I told you about my book, The Remarkable Effect. And in that book, I, I talk about the 10 traits of, of what makes certain companies stand out and others don't. So I'm always interesting because you're, you're, you're running a software company by yourself. What do you believe is key ingredient to create a remarkable software business? I feel like I'm still learning. I was hoping you would give me the answer. I can give you many answers. <laughs> yeah, and that's why I'm going to start, read your book and start, and start listening to the podcast more often. Other than the, I, I've knocked out three, though, since we, we met. You know, I think what's important is trust, you know, and, and maybe, again, that's a little too easy. But if you don't have a team where there's implicit and explicit trust among the partners, and 
a belief that we're going to do something great together and simultaneously a trust for your customers that you're going to take some risks together and they're putting so much into your sort of basket or your trust relationship that it's just the first thing that comes to mind for me that if there's any kind of hidden agenda or misaligned agenda or yep. and there's nothing wrong with misalignment. Oftentimes conflict creates the best appropriate kinds of conflict or tension, creative tension creates the best solutions, but yep. without trust internally and externally, you can't build anything remarkable and a trust that we're not trying to do something basic. You know, you, you can't, you can't do epic things with a basic mindset and we're just going to, we're just going to try to survive you know, kind of thing. Now there are moments where survival is key, but the yeah. North stars, the North star is also, is always thriving is always, you know, where are we headed after this, after this survival mode. But that's what it's about, right? The moment you go, I mean, I'm, in my book, I talk about play to win or play not to lose. And I'm not, I mean, play mm -hmm. to win. I don't mean like play to like win. Yeah. Without being ethical about it. It's typically for sure. Yeah. I mean, Simon Sinning is calling it the infinite game yeah. and it's like being yeah. in there for the long run. For sure. And it's, yeah. That is about doing the right things today, but also keep keep looking ahead in terms of where, where you need to go, be next in order to stay relevant in your industry and still yeah. make that big impact. And it's funny, I will say our founding team, you know, we have, there's five of us essentially that were the founding team, but three of us, you know, myself, Moshe, the other person I mentioned, Richard, he was my prior CEO and he's been our number one backer and angel investor and also has been sort of that long game influence you know, the amount of patience he's had as someone who's helped sort of back this company tangibly, as well as been a mentor to us without his patience and sort of view of the long game, man, he brings that to the team in spades and helps keep us on that vision. So, so we've been fortunate that we have that trust among the, the team and everyone serves those sort of Critical. different roles. Critical. Yep. And I mean, it also goes back to your servant role, you know, you're not there on your own. You're there to kind of support everybody to be to be that team and to deliver that bigger impact. For sure. I was For having, sure. what's her name? Radhika Dutt on my podcast. She's, she's creating a movement around radical products. And her mm. point was, often there's a lot of speed inside the company. Everybody's running, 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 but yep. speed in different directions. It's not aligned. The moment yeah. you kind of get everybody aligned, you get velocity. And I mean, that's a visual picture that is really powerful. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And that, that requires leaders that yeah, enable people. And so... I mean, final, almost final question. Sure. There are, there are a lot of tech entrepreneurs that are on my podcast or, yeah, I mean, peers from you. So from everything that you've learned, what is a, a lesson that's, that you say, hey, this is worth sharing? What advice could you give them? A lesson that's worth sharing. It's maybe a warning. <laughs> Good. It's, you know, for me, it's a move, this will be ironic. It's very important to never lose sight of it's never about me. Right. I can't. Goes back to that point. When I look at my peers in the space, and I, I'm not trying to say anything about them, because sometimes I'll see companies where a CEO as the embodiment of the brand and the marketing engine, let's think of Tesla and Elon Musk. It's worked for him. It's worked for Elon Musk. I think more realistically, the CEO is not the brand. The CEO can be the steward of the brand, but ultimately the CEO needs to get out of the way. And so it's never about you. And so oftentimes I even struggle with this, right? So I'm on a podcast and talking about our company that I, you know, I'd almost feel like if you did a forum with the people who really make all the, the wonderful things happen that weren't me, I'd have them in front of you. 
but my yeah. job is to my job is to be the steward of the brand and, that, and that's that's the role that you know that this internal tension i have with but it's not about me and it's dangerous especially when you see success and you're you're a startup saas company and you see sort of the the saas celebrities who are out at saaster and doing all of these fun things and and you could get swept up in sort of that kind of hype and you shouldn't because yeah. it it doesn't look good for any of the things that that are important to building a remarkable business or building a remarkable team or having your team feel motivated in the proper morale. Yeah, exactly. So it's very that would be my warning is it's it's not about you. Very good advice. Well, thank you very much for this interview and for sharing all the wise lessons that you shared and all the, yeah, <laughs> I hope the, they were the, wise. The, yeah, well, no no, I mean I definitely there's there's absolutely There's always new things you can learn from this. And of course, many of the people that are on the call are not, are not your competitors, so, but they take things from this as well. And I think that's, that's valuable. And that's why I'm doing this at the end. So where can people go and find out more about SpeakEasy AI? Because it's not sure that, Yeah, our website is the perfect place to go, which is just speakeasyai.com. Uh, we're, yeah. We're, yeah, .com. we're pretty active on Twitter. We're all over LinkedIn. We tend to do a lot of podcasts. This was a really thoroughly enjoyable one, and it was great speaking to you again because we had met prior. But yeah, just come to our website, and you know we try our best to make our website conversational. There's a little button you can click on that looks like a speech bubble, and you can chat to us. And it, we don't mean this to be ironic. We try to get you to a human as soon as possible. <laughs> so you know, again, the misnomer that AI is just meant to be a barrier to human interaction is not what, what we believe. It, it's meant to augment and, and help. I like that. And that's exactly why I invited you because that's the whole purpose behind the podcast. So, so where can people go to connect with you? You know, the easiest place is LinkedIn and I'm just yeah. Frank Schneider three is my profile name. That's the easiest place, you know, for professional connection. So that'll work. Simple as that. Well, like I said, thank you very much. This was inspiring to me. Thank you very much. And this finalizes my interview with Frank. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave a review on iTunes. And share it with other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that you have in your network. Other than that, thank you for tuning into this podcast today. I had the honor to speak to Frank Snyder, CEO of SpeakEasy AI. As said, the goal that I have in this podcast is twofold. Firstly, to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. And secondly, share experiences from tech entrepreneurs like you about what is required to create a remarkable software business and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Before I close, I have two more comments to make. If you know other tech entrepreneurs on a mission that have a story worth sharing, please send me an email at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas. And that starts with you. And if you want to know more about my book or you're interested in joining the Remarkable Effect tribe, please visit my website at www.valueinspiration.com. Thanks for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast on iTunes or provide me with your feedback directly. I'll see you shortly on a new episode. That's what 
Ransomware is all about is psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise, and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.